1 Peter chapter 3. Great to have you in our uh, Marriage 101 class uh, today. We're uh, whittling our way through. I think we're maybe on week 10 uh, of the 14 weeks that I have planned. And so we'll wrap this up uh, the end of August. And uh, uh, as I say every week, I mean, I mean, these are not things my wife and I practice perfectly. Uh, these are biblical principles. They are things we try to uh, do in our home and our marriage. And uh, the better we have done at this over the years, uh, the better our home and marriage uh, has become. And uh, I, I know uh, everybody's here for different reasons. People are here in different places in life, and, and, and that's all fine. Uh, if you're in this class on purpose, we, we do have this much in common. We, we want to make our marriage better, and uh, God is interested in that. Uh, as we start, we start off with the same uh, nine things every week. I'm just trying to get planted in your head, and if you feel like you don't need them, if you have them planted in your head when someone at work or someone in your family comes and talks to you, and uh, inevitably, everybody in this room will be uh, someone will come to you for marriage advice. And uh, so if you have these planted in your heart and uh, planted in your mind, they will just really help you. Uh, here's number one. Nothing can be taken back that's been done so far. What's done is done. Number two, uh, all that we can hope to change is today and tomorrow. Uh, by the grace of God, uh, they can change and get better. Number three, if you're struggling... You didn't get where you are in a day. You didn't get where you are in a month. You didn't get where you are uh, a lot of times in, in four or five months. Uh, you're not going to get out in a day or a week or a month. Uh, but by the grace of God, you can get out and things can be good. Uh, number four, there's only one person in this world and in your marriage you can control. Uh, I just ask that you focus on that one, focus on that in this class. I'm sure things... Uh, that we talk about here and there, maybe something that you say to yourself, yeah, my spouse really needed to hear that. Uh, but uh, I just ask that you just focus on the parts of this that apply to you. Uh, one person uh, being under control and doing what's right in any situation makes the situation better. Now, in an ideal world, I mean, you have two people who are always trying to do what's right, who are always under control, who are always looking, uh, you know, to uh, handle things well. But you know what? We don't live in an ideal world. And so if even one person is controlling themselves, it'll make uh, it better. And so I ask that you focus on that one. Number five, there's always hope as long as God is involved. Uh, God is love. Uh, if you never loved, you can begin to love. If you don't love anymore, you can love again. If you don't love as much as you should, you can love more. Uh, God is love. You must yield uh, to that God, and you can love like you should. Uh, number six, no one's destined to have the home in which they were raised if it was bad. Uh, you can succeed. I mean, you can both come from broken homes and both come from situations where you're the home in which you were raised. You would say, I don't want that at all in any way. Uh, but by the grace of God, yeah, you can uh, have a successful, happy marriage regardless of where you came from. Uh, number eight, or I'm sorry, number seven, you're not assured to have a good marriage if you came uh, from one where your parents had one. Uh, your parents can't have a good marriage for you. Uh, no one's destined to succeed because you came from a good environment. You can fail. Number eight, the marriage you're in today is a marriage you're supposed to be working on. And number nine, the person to whom you're married today is the person to whom you're supposed to be married. I mean, understand when that thought comes in your mind after you're married, 
I'm married to the wrong person, that thought is not from God. Uh, you are supposed to be working on the marriage you're in now with the person you're married to now. Uh, people turned in a lot of questions. We've been talking about fair fighting, and uh, obviously that is you know, something that uh, we all uh, have to deal with, or how to disagree well, or how to disagree and not hurt uh, my spouse. There's a lot of ways we could call it. Uh, question number one, is it bad that you are non-confrontational and don't like to fight? Uh, I don't think that's a, a bad quality at all. Uh, I actually think that's a good quality, unless you mean by that you're unwilling to discuss important issues that you need to discuss as a couple. Um, I don't know how it's a good quality to be somebody who likes to fight. I mean, how is that good? You know, uh, on the other hand, uh, you need to be careful. Uh, there are a lot of people that like to debate. Uh, I'm somebody who likes to debate issues, um, but my wife does not like to debate things. And very few people can debate things and not get angry or hurt. And so what that means, if you are a person who likes to debate things and your spouse doesn't, you need to just accept the fact that, you know what, that's most of the time not the way you're going to be able to handle things. Um, so I don't think it's bad if you're non-confrontational as long as you're willing to uh, discuss things that need to be discussed. Question number two, how do you respond when your spouse does not accept your apology? Uh, the first thing you have to do is begin by asking yourself, how well did I apologize? You know, uh, I'm sorry. You, you, you know what? They're, if they don't accept your apology, the first thing you always remember, you can only control yourself. So the first thing you have to look at is, well, did, did I really give them a heartfelt apology? And if you didn't, then you should do that. Now, if you look at the situation and say, you know what, I really, within the, the ability that I have to communicate, uh, I, I gave them a, a heartfelt apology, then you just need to accept the fact that you can't control whether your spouse accepts your apology or not. You can't control that. All you can control is whether you give a good apology. Uh, if they don't accept your apology and you gave a good apology, you need to begin to pray for them. Pray that God will work in their heart. You need to just decide to move on, even if they don't move on. Uh, you're not responsible for someone accepting a heartfelt apology. Uh, you, you can't take responsibility for something you can't control. And by the way, God doesn't hold us responsible for things we can't control. God holds us responsible for things we can control. Question number three, how do I get my spouse to want to come to church? Uh, you can't get them to do anything. All you can do is make choices for yourself and provide an environment that it makes it easier for them to choose to come to church. Uh, you need to first make sure you're committed to coming. You need to make sure that you have a good attitude about going. You need to make sure that you're not dumping all the dirty laundry of everything that happens at church on your spouse who doesn't want to come. Uh, listen, the church, and I don't care what church it is, it's just filled with people. And whenever you have people, some people are stinkers. You know, that's the way it is. And by the way, a healthy church is not um, the same 100 people coming to Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. That's not a healthy church. Uh, a healthy church has people of all sorts. 
And if people that are not all in, so to speak, are not welcome and, and loved, there's something wrong. I mean, we ought to have people, some people here who are new believers or just trying to get a little bit of things together. We ought to have some people here who have been broken, who are just really starting to put the pieces of their life back together. And we ought to have some people who have it together too. And when you don't understand what the church is supposed to be, then you're never going to look at it right and you're going to gripe about it. And if your spouse doesn't want to come, man, shut up. <laughs> you know, that's the last thing they need to hear. And um, don't nag them. Uh, they should know what you want, but, but nagging that doesn't get you anywhere. They should see by your behavior, by the way you treat them, the value of going to church in your life. They, they should see that. And, you know, you do that and pray for them, and that's really uh, all you can do. By the way, uh, don't do what a lot of people do and just accuse them of being unsaved. Now, now don't get me wrong. I, I believe that someone who's genuinely saved, the, one of the marks of genuine salvation is some heart's desire for the things of God. I mean, if someone has no desire for church and no desire for prayer and unless they're in trouble and no desire for the Bible and no desire to, to try to please God, you know, chances are they're probably not saved. But the fact of the matter is, is you don't know their heart. You don't know their life. The only person you can know for sure is saved is you. And so you don't help anything when your spouse, uh, you know, is not doing what they're supposed to do. Well, are you really saved? You know, why, why are you doing that? Um, it just doesn't help anything. Pray for them. Do what's right yourself. Question four. Should the wise counsel my spouse looks to be a family member? Uh, if you've been in this class any length of time, you know that I've repeatedly said that every couple uh, should have somebody they've agreed to go to if they struggle. Uh, every husband should have someone that his wife has agreed to for him to be able to talk to and uh, have private conversation with. Every wife should have somebody that her husband has approved that it's okay for her to talk to when she's struggling and to give private uh, you know, have private information. And so this question is, is should that be a family member? And, and what I would say is that's an issue of preference. You know, um, some people have family members who are really spiritually minded, who are not going to automatically take the side of someone who's in their gene pool, who are not going to become bitter and angry when they learn what was done to their son or, or, or daughter. And if you have somebody like that, I personally would always rather have my private information in the hands of somebody in my family. But if you don't have somebody like that in your family, what you need is a wise counselor uh, who's not in your gene pool. And, and so, you know, is it okay to do that? Yeah, but to be honest with you, most people prefer someone other than their family. But if you have somebody like that, I think that's better. Uh, question number five, is it okay to have the feeling of just wanting to hang out alone? <laughs> um, the first thing that I want to say is whoever wrote this question, I want to commend you on doing the most basic thing that most people don't do, recognizing that all your feelings are not healthy. You mean you at least pause and you ask yourself the question, is it good for me to feel like I want to be alone? Um, 
If you've not gotten to the place in your life where you've recognized that we have feelings that are all over the map, good and bad, then you've not really grown to understand your fallen nature very well. Uh, and so since you've asked the question, it really it depends on what you mean by that. If you mean by that that, you know, you just need some uh, alone time here and there, you know what, I actually think it's unhealthy for husbands and wives to be, you know, 24-7 attached at the hip. Uh, I think it makes you a much more interesting person and makes life more interesting to have some things you do together, have some things you do separately, and um, I personally think that's better. Um, you know, you may disagree with that. That's fine. Uh, so if you mean by that, you, you want some quiet time, private time here and there, I, I think there's nothing wrong with that. If you mean by that, you know what, I don't want to be with my spouse, I don't want to be with my family, I, I want to live my life as if I were still single and didn't have children, then I, I think you need to identify that as an unhealthy feeling and say, no, I'm not going to harbor that. Uh, I'm not going to feed that. Um, but, you know, to, to be alone sometimes, it's good. You know, uh, I mean, starting certainly with alone time with God. I mean, what I would say to you, though, is I would always strive to get your alone time uh, when your spouse is not there. Uh, I, I think that's better. I mean, for instance, you, for instance, by alone time, you may mean I, I want time just to read a book. And what I would say, okay, get up early and read. You know, I'll read sometime when they're gone doing this or that. You, you know, try to make your alone time, so to speak, times, you know, where you uh, less hinder your time with your spouse and, and times when you might not hurt their feelings for wanting to be away. Uh, I think that's a better way to handle it. Question number six, what is the wisest way to handle my spouse's angry outbursts without giving the perception to our children that it's okay to have angry outbursts? Uh like always, you guys have heard this multiple times, um, pick a couple clear examples, make the issue a matter of prayer, uh, pick a good time, pick a good tone, and have a conversation with them privately. I mean, that's how you do that. Chances are, if you try to communicate to them or try to fix anything when they're angry, you're not going to get anywhere. All right. I also think it's good, like if, if one of you, one or both of you struggle with, with that issue, you know, I, I think it's good for you to, and your spouse to have uh, some kind of key phrase that will mean something to you, but that the kids won't get. Uh, for, for instance, when when our kids were home and, and little, if my well, if my wife felt like I was doing something that was too much, uh, she would always say, "Are you sure you want to do that?" And that was a red flag to me that, okay, what I'm doing is, in her perception, too much. Now, that doesn't mean I always didn't do it, because sometimes I felt like, hey, this is what needs to be done. But, but there was a, it was a red flag to me. And, and maybe, maybe you need to say something like, you know, man, I, I'm just really hot. I'm going to go get some water and cool down. You know, I, it doesn't matter what you pick. It just needs to be something that makes sense to you guys that is a way to express you have some concern. You know, and what I would also say to whoever wrote this, you know, just be careful that you don't define your spouse's expression of anger uh, the way you express your anger. You know, remember, we're not the same people. 
And each of us bring something special to the marriage, to the way we handle our children, and, and, and to our home. And, and, and you know what? You know, sometimes um, maybe you, you, you don't let yourself feel deeply enough about things. And, you know, so just be careful when you define your spouse as, quote, overdoing it, that it's not really just them being different from you. And, quite frankly, other times they might just be overdoing it, too. But just be honest about what's uh, going on. Um, uh, today, uh, we're going to do our, our final uh, lesson on uh, fair fighting. And uh, we started the subject a couple of weeks ago. And uh, remember, all of these things are learned behavior. All of these things are learned behavior. In an ideal world, uh, to some large degree, these were things you saw modeled by your parents. These were things that your parents worked on with you in the home when you were growing up. Uh, because siblings disagree, parents disagree with children. And, and, and so learning to disagree well, ideally, was something that you began a long time ago. But unfortunately, in the real world, that's not what happened. And disagreeing is a part of every married life. Remember, our goal is not to think the same. Our goal is to think together. You each bring something to the relationship. And so uh, disagreeing about, you name it, every, every major issue of life, the husband and wife physical relationship, how you're going to handle your money, what you're going to do with the children, how you're going to handle this or that spiritual thing, and on and on, and where are we going on vacation? Uh, on and on and on it goes. That's normal. How do we disagree and not have a fight and not hurt our spouse. We've talked about being careful about how we talk uh, when we disagree. We've talked about handling our conflicts privately as much as possible. We've talked about not staying angry with our spouse very long. Uh, go, uh, you should be uh, in First Peter chapter three, uh, verse ten. First Peter chapter three, verse ten uh, says, "For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips." That they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Now, th this to me is one of the great recipes of the Bible. If you have not rec re recognized that a lot of the Bible are, are recipes, uh, in other words, you do this, you do this, God does that, or you do this, you do that, you don't do this, this happens, that doesn't happen. Uh, a lot of the Bible is a recipe. Uh, like that. This this is a recipe. And, and notice the product of the end of this recipe. It says in verse 10, for he that will love life and see good days. Wow, now there's a great product. Now understand, if you're making brownies, you've got to throw some chocolate in. And if you want to love life and see good days, he gives us the recipe for that. He begins by saying, first, refrain your tongue from evil and your lips. They speak no guile. I mean, don't say hurtful things. Don't say deceitful things. Now, verse 11, let him eschew evil and do good. And notice these last two things of the six. Let him seek peace and ensue it. And ensue it is just a different word for pursue. Uh, seek peace and pursue it. See, if we are going to disagree well, we need to be seeking peace. And then when we figure out where peace is, 
How do I make peace in this situation? How, how do I make this situation better? We have to pursue it. If we want to love life and see good days. By, by the way, there's some people, they think that loving life and seeing good days is only for teenagers and single people. That's dumb. Uh, the God who designed marriage designed marriage to bring fulfillment and enhancement and great things in the life of all of his children that he had designed to be married. And so we can love life and see good days after we're married, but we're going to have to seek peace and pursue it. And that's what we've been talking about. How do I find peace? Where, where is it at? And I must pursue it. And by the way, if you have two people who are seeking peace and trying to pursue it, you will never have a bad fight. Now, if you have even one person who is not willing to fight unfairly and seeking peace and pursue it, you'll never have anything really too serious happen. You'll have some things happen, but, but nothing too bad. But if you have two people, you can have a peaceful, secure home. Listen, one of the things that gives security to your children is them watching a mom and dad get along and disagree well. It matters. What do we do? Go ahead to Ephesians chapter 5. How can we seek peace and pursue it? How can we fight fairly? Someone turned in a question, and it's a great question. It's going to happen. I guarantee you. Here's the question they turned in. How do you resolve a conflict when both spouses cannot agree in a solution? That will happen. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He's the Savior of the body. Therefore, as a church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. How do you solve this situation when you cannot agree? You follow God's order in the home. Now, remember, when God gave a husband authority, he did not give him authority to do things contrary to his will. A husband has no authority to say, we're not going to church anymore. He has no authority to say, hey, let's go rob a bank. He has no authority to say, hey, I'm going to take our kids to the bar with me tonight. He has no authority to say, hey, you know what? We're going to have drugs in our house whether you like it or not. He has no authority from God to do that. He has no authority from God to do something contrary to God's will. But the truth of the matter is, is by and large, what happens in our homes when we can't disagree in solution, it almost never has anything to do with some husband wanting to do something illegal, immoral, or ungodly. I'm not saying it doesn't happen because it does, but mostly not. Follow God's order in the home. Um, now, ladies, if your husband will not step up and provide spiritual leadership in the home, you should step up. And just be willing to step back if he ever decides to step up. I, it is a, just a fact of life that some men don't want to be the spiritual leaders in their home. They want to just do what they want to do. Ladies, if your husband's like that, love him, pray for him. You step up and be the spiritual leader. And be willing to step back if he ever decides to step up. Um. Ladies, if you strongly feel like your husband is not doing what God wants in a situation, 
you should already have some people you've agreed to talk to. You should have a lady that your husband has agreed for you to talk to. And if you have a more mature, godly lady, you know what? Sometimes she might tell you, you know what? That's not unreasonable. You just need to do that. And other times, that person may say, you know what? You, you need to go to somebody you two have agreed to talk to as a couple. By the way, l- listen to me. When you have two people who want to do God's will, you're not afraid to talk to other people. You're, uh, brother, if you're afraid that your decision will not stand the scrutiny of outside wise counsel, chances are what you're doing is dumb. And sister, if your objections to all of whatever it is that he's trying to do, uh, if you just say, well, you know what, I don't want to put this situation in the light of of this um, godly, more seasoned people that we've agreed to talk to, chances are whatever it is you want is not God's will. Do you want God's will? God is the ultimate authority, and he delegated some of it to people in some situations, but their authority never supersedes his. By the way, this basic principle will settle nearly all of the disagreements that you have that are not related to some Bible principle or subject, and the Bible settles all of those. Uh, Somebody turned in the question, how do you love and follow your husband when he isn't making godly decisions? Uh, you love him by loving him with God's love because he, quite frankly, uh, is in a situation where you can't love him very well with people's love. You need Christ's love. And uh, when he's making bad decisions, if they are ungodly decisions, you follow God. If they're neither godly or ungodly decisions, you follow your husband. See, it's not that complicated Really, it's just that we don't want to do it. And, you know, you should have somebody set up and go talk to them. Uh, Here's number five. How do I fight fair? How do we disagree well? Uh, Never decide to have more children to solve a conflict. Um, The Bible says children are the heritage of the Lord. If you're able to have them, Uh, It's a wonderful thing to have them. But let me just say, adding children to a relationship generally magnifies what is already there. You ever, I don't know, I I, every once in a while like to turn on those shows about, hey, the lottery changed my life, you know, just to see what, what people did. And you know what? Generally, people who were irresponsible with their money, when they got more money, you know what they did? Dumb things with their money. And people who generally handled their money well, who ended up with a sudden surge of money, you know what they did? They handled it generally well. Uh, You know, some big increase in money. It doesn't change who you are. It magnifies what was already there. And children are like that. Uh, That's why you don't decide to have extra because we're struggling. They magnify what's already there. And if you, generally speaking, had some reasonable communication and generally speaking got along and generally speaking, you know, just have a, everything's okay, you know what, children will make it better. On the other hand, uh, because children, what they do is they actually introduce these very powerful influencers that you feel very strongly about and you just added a huge area to disagree over. And you will disagree over how to handle your children. I don't care who you are. 
And so don't have more kids to uh, try to solve a conflict. It doesn't help. It magnifies what's there. Uh, by the way, I, I, when we had our kids, I, I think it really helped my wife out. We are from up north. We don't have any family here. It really helped her put her roots down here. And, and by the way, uh, it helped our relationship too. Uh, it really helped me. I, I really, you know, I'm a guy. I'm prideful and selfish. I mean, most people, you don't realize how proud and selfish you are until you get married. And then nobody realizes how proud and selfish they were until they had kids. And, and, and those things, they, they, they really help you bring perspective. And, and man, I, if you're able to, and uh, you know, I think it's great, but don't do it to settle an argument. Go back to Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs 24. What I want to do, I've only got 11 minutes left, and I want to kind of finish the class sort of almost like sitting across the table from you. And um, just with some practical uh, thoughts. Now, you may think this verse is kind of funny and uh, a weird way to apply it, but it's kind of interesting to me. Proverbs 24, 6, uh, it says, uh, For by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war, and in multitude of counselors there's safety. You, you know, and a lot of people might not like to equate their fighting and disagreements to war, uh, but one of the things that if you're a king or someone in, a, in authority, I mean, obviously you don't, go to war without getting wise counsel on how to fight and where to fight and what their weaknesses are and their strengths are and all those kinds of things. But you know what? If you're going to disagree with your spouse and risk having a fight, you know what? Uh, I just want to sit across the table and talk to you about a couple of things before you decide to go into the battle. Uh, these are just real practical things. Here's number one. You do not have to and should not talk about everything. Uh, that book we passed out in here, uh, His Needs, Her Needs, is a great book. Uh, it's not the Bible. And one of the things that book says is that you should talk about everything. I've had people over the years, lots of them, brag to me about talking about everything. I actually, I think that's dumb. If you've not recognized that there's a lot of things that go through your mind that is just tough enough for you and the Lord to deal with without putting them on your spouse's plate, you haven't been honest about some of the thoughts that go through your mind. I mean, if you're somebody who's sitting here thinking, well, yeah, we should talk about everything. You really want to hear every time your husband has a lustful thought about somebody who just walked by you? Brother, you really think that you want your wife to let you know every time she thinks what you're doing is dumb? You know, whoever makes that statement, they either have not thought it through or they don't really mean it like it comes out. You know, you don't have to and should not talk about everything. And But there are some things. By the way, do you, do you really, would you give me the advice that as a pastor of this church, I should talk about everything that I find out with my wife? By the way, I don't. I hardly talk to her about anything. Say, so why? That's my burden to bear. It's enough for me to have to know what's going on with this and that and the other thing, and I'm supposed to put that on her plate? Why would I do that? 
Now, while there are some burdens of life that are mine to bear and not hers, you know what? There are other things that are our burdens together to bear as a couple. And so there are some things we need to be sure we talk about. Ask yourself some questions before you talk about some things that you think might bring war. How about this? Will talking about this help my spouse? Will talking about this solve anything? Have you ever noticed that there's a lot of hurtful things you can talk about that no matter what, it's actually not going to solve anything? Why are you doing that? How about this? Is solving this worth the pain of confronting the issue? How about this? Would it please the Lord more to keep this to myself or to talk about it? And I know I talk about this all of the time in this class. Our personal relationship with God is much, much more than we go to heaven when we die because we know Jesus. Our personal relationship with God is something that affects our marriage relationship because it changes how and what we talk about with our spouse. How about this question? Does my spouse need to know this? If your spouse needs to know this, then no matter how painful it is to talk about it, you need to talk about it. There are painful things that husbands and wives need to talk about, and you must do it. Uh, here's number two. Just some practical advice for just sitting across the table. Uh, you bought my lunch, and so I'm, I'm talking. Uh, here's number two. You don't have to agree on everything. I want you to think about this. There's some things you can leave unsettled. You, you don't have to agree on every detail about how you handle the children when you're not both there. Um, when I was away, my wife handled our children the way she wanted to handle them. I had a few basic boundaries, and to be honest with you, it's one of those things, if you can't stand the answer, don't ask the question. Uh, most often, I didn't even ask. But when I came home, that was a part of my task, then I handled the children. And quite frankly, she didn't like the way I handled them sometimes. But we had a system that kept peace in our house. You don't, uh, listen, it would be impossible for her to agree with everything I did for the kids and me to agree with everything she did. You know what, I needed to trust God enough that she was going to add something to our children's relationship that God wanted added that I couldn't add, and she needed to trust God enough that I was going to add something to our children that God wanted added that she couldn't add. You don't have to agree about everything. It's okay. Are you really looking for the Lord's will and what's best for your family? Or are you trying to win the debate? Here's number three. We're still, I've got five minutes. We're still just sitting across from the table. Here's number three. You don't have to settle every issue right away that needs to be settled. Do you know what? Some issues, they take weeks, months, or even years to settle. I, I get it. There are some things you have to resolve right away. I, I, I get that. And those you need you need to just do the hard work, work through it in the manners we've talked about. But you know what? There's a lot of things you spend a lot of woe and you fight over regularly, and, and, and it's not going to be settled this week or this month. And, and you know what? Sometimes that's okay. You know what? You, you, you don't need to be uh, fighting uh, over how, how you're going to handle your teenager when your kid's a toddler. 
You know, th- th- there's going to be a time when your child gets a little bit older where you're going to pretty much have to agree on some basic things. But, you know, you don't have to agree yet when they're seven months old. That's okay. Here's number four. I won't spend any time on this because I bring it up all the time. Pick the most opportune time to talk about things that are important enough to risk a disagreement over. Listen, there's conversations. We know that while when I talk this, when we talk about this, I know we're going to disagree. Why, why do you do those conversations at a bad time? Why do you do them when someone first comes home from work? Why do you do them when you know one of you is already tired or one of you is already on the edge? Why do you do that? Here's number five. Don't expect to settle everything just like other couples settle everything. There are Bible principles that God gave us, and then you know what? God made all of us. Every man in here is a unique man. Every woman in here is a unique woman. And there are aspects of our relationship and how we get along and how we settle things that are, that are unique to us. That's why I mainly talk in Bible principles in this class, because if you go to try to solve everything exactly like Sharon and I settle it, you'll be unsuccessful. I, I like to debate things. My wife doesn't. I'm verbal, my wife is nonverbal. But by the way, neither one of those are good and bad. It's just the way we naturally are. You're not going to be able to settle things the way we settle them after being married 35 years if you've been married too. You, this is why you need some older, godly counsel in your life to help you because of truly godly counselors are not going to try to tell you what to do all the time. They're going to bring up some things for you to think about, and they're going to try to help you put what's going on in the context of your personalities and gifts. And lastly, and I repeat this all the time in here because it applies to nearly every subject we've talked about, don't expect your spouse to be another one of you. Um, When we disagree i like to talk it out my wife prefers to drop it say brother wally what do you do we drop it i I want things solved i don't care whether they're solved my way or not And whoever the more mature person is, and I'm not implying I'm more mature than my wife because in a lot of situations she has been more mature than me. I'm just saying, listen, whoever's the more mature of you in that situation in the moment, you need to want it solved more than you want it solved your way. And if you are the person who's nonverbal, sometimes you're going to have to be more verbal to help your spouse settle an issue. And if you're the verbal person and your spouse is not, sometimes you're going to have to be be okay with saying, you know what? (laughs) <laughs> they don't want to talk about it, but they're going to really let it go. So eh, I'm just going to let it go. Why don't you just talk to the Lord? Listen, God designed our homes to be a blessing, to be secure, to give us love, acceptance, a place of refuge in the midst of Just a world that is just a mess. And he gave us some ways to help us disagree. I hope you will apply them. Uh, Next week, Lord willing, uh, we'll talk about uh, how to handle our money together.
And uh, there's not a person here who hasn't had disagreement over that. And uh, you should have a little paper. I always write something on it. I don't care if you write another stick version of my wife kicking me in the face. Uh, I don't care if it be an X or a smiley face or if you have an actual serious question. Or some of your comments, I think, actually have made me laugh out loud. And so whatever, write something on it, fold it in half, and stick it in a little pile up here. Uh, God bless you. You're dismissed.